All right, all right. Who's excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Woo, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm Pastor Berta, one of the pastors here on staff. We want to welcome you to MPI Church, your church. If we can please stand as we get ready to worship the Lord Jesus. Amen. Who's excited? I hope we, we hope that you guys had a great Thanksgiving. We're getting ready to get in the presence and to the awesome sermon that we got prepared for us. But before we get started, we got your sister and my wifey, Grisella, testifying. Let's give her a hand, guys. Amen, amen. Excuse me. God is so good and faithful. Uh, I've been walking with the Lord for going on 10 years now, and I can just want to testify uh, how God has never failed me, never left me, never forsaken me, been there in times and given me the desires of my heart, even things that I don't deserve. But I want to share with you that after I had my first son, uh, my husband and I had an atopic pregnancy. So I know that there's many women in this room that can relate, and you understand how hard and difficult that can be. And as a woman, it was hard to think about having another child and even, you know, setting my heart on something like that. Just that, yeah, if it happens, it happens, and not really pursuing it or asking God or, you know, thinking that we could have another child. And so after three years and finally towards the last year, praying and asking sisters to lay hands on me and desire, really desiring and putting my faith that God can do it, I want to testify that today I am seven months pregnant. <laughs> God is good. He saw me through a dark time, a dark season, not too long, but because he was there with me. Amen. And I want to share the scripture that was in my devotionals uh, this week in Psalms 18:25. It says, to the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. Amen. I want to pray that over you. No matter what you're going through with loss, something that has happened in your life, God is faithful. You remain faithful to him. He will remain faithful to you. He will turn your darkness into light. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We adore you. We thank you because you never change. Our circumstances may change. God, our surroundings may change. People may change, but you never change. You are pure. You are blameless. You are right. And for that, we worship you this morning. So have your way. Lift up heavy hearts this morning and let them know that there is joy that comes after the morning in Jesus name and everybody said amen Just not who I 
Lord, I'm a brand new man, I'm going free. I'm on a narrow road, it's filled with grace and hope. It's gonna lead me home, I'm going free. I'm going free.
Jesus be the center of my life. Jesus be the center of my life. Jesus be the center of my life. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been Oh, 
Come on, just the voices. Let's say Jesus. Just the voices. Come on, speak him into your marriage. Speak him over your children today. Speak him into your high school. Oh, there's nothing like the name of Jesus, friends. Come on. Jesus. Let's do just the women. Come on, Jesus. Speak his name, ladies. Come on, lift up your voices. Jesus. 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 Come on. Now the men. Come on, men. Lift up his name. Lift him up over your family. Lift him up in your city. Lift up his name in your workplace. Come on. Jesus. 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 Everybody, come on. Jesus. like your name because it's at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord every knee will bow before the name of Jesus one day Jesus in you there is peace in you there is comfort in you there is hope in you we place our trust today have you made him the center of your life church that is why we sing his praises today because we know the God that we serve and when we sing his name and when we speak his name and when we declare his name the atmosphere in our life changes you cannot remain the same when you're in the presence of a holy God when you meet Jesus face today face to face everything in your life changes everything gets rearranged your marriage comes into alignment your children will come into alignment your finances will come into alignment everything will come into alignment when jesus becomes the center and so we're going to sing that again jesus be the center of my life and i want you to sing it as a prayer over your situation today I want you to sing it as a prayer over our city, over our families, over the marriages, over our children, and all those that don't know him, that he will be the center, that everything will come into alignment, that we would honor the Lord and win our city and this nation for Jesus. So come on, lift up your hands all across this room. We're going to sing Jesus be the center of my life as a prayer, as a testament as our hearts cry oh jesus be the center of our life oh god we trust you jesus 
Come on, we trust you, Lord. It's always been about you, God. We trust you, Lord. Come on, Jesus, be the center. in this place. We thank you, Jesus, that in you there is salvation, and you there is forgiveness, and you there is hope and salvation. And we honor you today. We lift up your name and we sing praises. We sing holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We worship you today in spirit and in truth, and we give you glory and honor and power because you're worthy. You are worthy, oh God. We love you today, Jesus. We glorify your name, King of kings and Lord of lords. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise in this place. Woo, he is worthy. He is so worthy. You guys can be seated at this time. We welcome you to Metro Praise International. Thank you for joining us this morning as we worship our great God. I'm going to preach the gospel to you at this time. My name is Nancy Wyrostek. I'm one of the apostolic elders here. We thank you for joining us if this is your first time. We always want to give an opportunity for you to hear the simple message that Jesus saves. And I'm going to be preaching today from Psalm chapter 51, verses 10 through 12. Create in me a pure heart, O God and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. This was King David's prayer when he sinned against God. He sinned bad, guys. He turned his back on God. He did some of the most wicked things in this season of his life. And he was repenting. He was coming back. And he said, God, don't cast me from your presence or take your spirit from me. Restore to me your joy. The joy that I had when I was right with you. The joy that I had when I knew that I had your salvation. And this message is for those of you today who once lived for God, but you turned your back on him. You went back into your sin. You backslid. You said, I'm going to do it my way. I don't want that anymore. This sin looks so much more enticing than being in the presence of God. Or maybe you're in this room and you never really have lived for God and you just always felt like you're going to do your own thing and you could get right with God at the last minute when you take your last breath. I want you to know you do not have the Spirit of God in you. You do not have the joy of the Holy Ghost that is in you. This joy that Jesus gives cannot be given to us from this world. It is unconditional. It doesn't matter the circumstances that you are facing. When you have Jesus in your life, nothing else matters. When Jesus is at the center of your life, 
You have the joy of the Lord. You have his peace. You have his presence. And you have the Holy Spirit leading you and guiding you into the fullness. Jesus came and died on the cross for our sin to cover us, to cleanse us with his blood so that we could have new life in him. And if you are not right with God, this should be your prayer. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and give me a willing spirit to hold me strong, to sustain me, to help me walk and live this life for you. This message is a convicting message. It should convict your heart if you're not right with God today. So with all eyes closed all across this room, do not let this opportunity pass you by to cry out to Jesus and say, God, give me a pure heart. Restore my joy of your salvation again. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I cannot live without you, God. I need you in my life. It's a cry of desperation that you cannot go one moment without Jesus. So I'm going to pray for you, and I want you to come into agreement with this prayer, and I want you to make it your own and come back to Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the gospel message. We thank you, Jesus, that you took the price. We can never know the price that you paid for our sin. We'll never know what it felt like, oh God. But we thank you for making a way. We thank you for making it possible that we could come and fellowship with you and have a relationship with you again restored. Lord, we thank you that you came to give us life. And I pray that today every single person in this room would repent of their sin if they're not right with you. That they would turn from their wicked ways, come to you so that you could heal them, come to you so that you could forgive them and grant them a willing spirit that will sustain them. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Please stand up to your feet with me this morning. We're going to have prayer workers right up here at the front. I want to encourage you, if you want to get right with God, to come and receive prayer from them during the fellowship time in just a few moments. They'll pray with you. They'll answer your questions about how you could get plugged into the church so that you could be a disciple of Christ. Amen. Look to your neighbor and say, you can do it. Come on. We're going to confess our confession of faith right now. This is our Christian worldview. We believe in this strongly. Everything in society, everything that happens, this is the lens as Christians that we look through and we uphold the truth of Christ and his word. So on the count of three, let's do this. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Woo! God is good. Spend some time hanging out. Give somebody a hug and a handshake.
We're going overtime. All right. Welcome everybody to Metro Praise International. How was your Thanksgiving? Did you enjoy your time with your family? I'm feeling the love in this room today. Love you guys. If this is your first time, thank you for being here with us. We welcome you to MPI. If you've been here before and have come back after a little bit, we welcome you back. Keep on coming. Invite your friends and your family. Our services here are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. This is our family service, so we have King's Kids in the back for our children, infant to 11 years old. And then we have Elevate Fridays at 7 p.m. every week. We have an awesome youth group, students from 11 to 18 years old. We have great youth leaders and youth pastors that pour into these students every week. So if you know anybody in that age group, please let them know about Elevate happening here on Friday nights. Let the word be known. How are you guys excited about our Christmas service coming up? So we're going to be celebrating the Christmas production of having our Christmas talent show on December 18th. Because if you, if you guys know, Christmas Day is actually on a Sunday, so we want to have a special service that day as well. But we want the big shebang to be on the 18th, so mark it in your calendars. Our children will be singing a beautiful uh, production here with their Christmas songs. A lot of other people who have auditioned will be showing off their talent, and it's all going to be for the glory of God. So I want you guys to make it a, um, a goal to really invite your friends and your family for this service it's an awesome opportunity, especially if you have children, to let them know that they can come on out and hear the little kids sing for the Lord and have all those Christmas carols coming through. So we want you guys to mark it in your calendar. It's going to happen during both services, and it's going to be a special time. So, And also for the Christmas Day, invite them th for that Sunday as well. Our vision here at MPI, well, MPI has a vision, a strategy, and a goal. Our vision is loving God and loving people, and we strive to do that with all of our heart. And our strategy here is to connect, mentor, and send. We want to connect you to the church through our life groups. We want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. And then we want to send you out to do evangelism so that we keep preaching the gospel to the lost around us. And our goal by doing all of those things is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. You guys think that's possible? Come on, it's possible because with God, all things are possible. So look to your neighbor, say, get connected. We want you guys to get connected to the church through our life groups. So if you look at that handout, you'll see the schedule for this quarter of the different kinds of life groups that we have, where they're meeting, how often they meet. And this is a snapshot of this week. It looks busy, right? Come on, so much to do this week. Kicking it off today is our single mom's life group. Childcare will be provided. They're meeting here at the church at 5.30. Tuesday, encounter prayer night, powerful time. All ages are welcome. Be here Tuesday at 7 o'clock and just go after God. Wednesday, King's Kids, infant to 11 years old, 6.30 here at the church. Wonderful time for our children to get to know Jesus and his word. We have Royal Rangers Boys Club, Impact Girls Club. You want your children to be here on Wednesday nights. Thursday, our gang outreach uh, is happening. People go out 18 years and up, 7 o'clock, meet here at the church. Friday, two adult Bible studies. One is at the Goveas, the other one at the Vivids. 18 years and up, meet there at 7 p.m. Pick a uh, location. It's an awesome time for you guys to get together uh, with other brothers and sisters in the Lord throughout the week and get encouraged by God's word. And Saturday, the ambassadors. 
That's our Elevate Youth Group, uh, Life Group, 11 to 18 here at the church at 1 o'clock. Then we want to mentor you. So you're connected. We want to mentor you. We have leaders ready to help you live a life for Jesus, to be a disciple. So the 101 book is called Welcome to Your New Life. This is done one-on-one -on -one with a leader who's going to invest into your life, be there with you, pray for you, and really encourage you to be a disciple for the Lord. And when you graduate the 101, you'll get into the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples, where we train you up to be a leader in the church so that you could be a deacon or an elder one day because God wants you to fulfill his will for your life, his will for your life, his plan, and it's through the church. Amen. Then we want to send you out to do evangelism every Saturday from five to eight. They're hitting the streets, preaching the gospel, letting people know that without Jesus, they are lost. They cannot go to heaven without Jesus. And it's our responsibility to go and tell them because we don't want their blood to be on our hands, right? We have got to tell the lost around us that it's Jesus that will save them. So to recap, MPI has a vision, a strategy, and a goal. A vision of loving God and loving people. A strategy to connect you, mentor you, and send you out. And a goal of 100,000 disciples in this city with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Can I get a hallelujah? hallelujah. Woo -woo. All right, let's get into our giving lesson for today. We're on section four, overcoming hindrances. Today is lesson six. Here at MPI, we believe that the scripture teaches that a tithe is 10% of our total income given regularly to the church. And then we also believe in giving an offering. That amount is between you and the Lord that he puts on your heart to give. And we designate that towards missions and towards building throughout the year. Let's get into the lesson today. Overcoming bitterness. The definition of a hindrance is something that prevents us from being obedient to God's commands. We're going to read in James chapter 3, verse 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Let's read the three main points. Number one, bitter envy. Sounds nasty, doesn't it? Bitter envy can come into a person's heart when they think God has been unfair to them by blessing others. Bitterness refers to being angry and envy relates to jealousy. So if that is ever you in any point of your life, the best thing that you could do at that moment is to repent and say, God, pluck that out of my heart because you do not want that to fester or take root because that is a nasty thing. God wants you to be free and bitterness and envy and jealousy will destroy God's call on your life and you bearing fruit. So you want to make sure that when you're looking at other people being blessed, you should be thankful that God is blessing them. And then in return saying, God, if you could bless them, you could bless me too. And I'm going to do my part to be faithful, right? Number two, selfish ambition. Anything we do or desire outside of God's plan for our lives comes from pride. And it appears in selfish ambition. Selfishness refers to being self-centered instead of being God-centered. And ambition is our wants and desires. We have to come into alignment. Just like we saying, Jesus, be the center. If we really mean that, we're going to come under God's authority, under God's word, and say, I'm going to do it your way, and I'm going to trust you. We're not going to keep seeking our, you know, our selfish ambition, keep being self-centered in everything that we want to do and not saying, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to give? How do you want me to run my life? And number three, don't harbor 
bitter envy, or selfish ambition. Make a decision to not allow bitter envy or selfish ambition to dwell in your heart. And if this is a struggle for you, then you have to make it a habit that every day you bring this before the Lord until you know that it's not going to keep coming at you and trying to tempt you and take you down. So in summary, avoid bitterness by being Christ-centered and believing God will provide for you because he will. So three ways you could apply this lesson to your life. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, which is 10% of your total income and offerings, anything you give after your tithes. Number two, repent. If you have allowed bitterness to come into your heart and bring envy or selfish ambition, you can see Hebrews 12, 14. And number three, ask God to remind you of his precious promises for your life. And as he reminds you of those, speak them out until they come to pass. Let's confess this over our life on the count of three. One, two, three. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the word of God, I will not be hindered by greed, laziness, unbelief, discouragement, or fatigue in my giving to God. I will overcome bitterness, impatience, pride, fear, idolatry, and live a life of obedience in my finances. Come on, stand up to your feet with me. Let's declare that over our life and seal it as we give God our best today through our tithes and our offering. You can be uh, specific on the envelope of the amount that you want to go towards each category. Tithe is 10% of your total income. You could give towards emissions and building, put it all in the envelope, and we make sure it goes to the proper place. Here are four ways you could give at MPI. Number one in the drop boxes in the back. Number two. In the wall, oh, number one, I got it wrong. Number one, in the buckets during the offering time here at the front. Number two, in the wall mounted drop boxes in the back. Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. You can see Pastor Griselda if you have any questions about that. And four, you could go online and use Chase QuickPay, PayPal, or Bill Pay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. And let me just mention if you guys notice our new display with our books and hoodies and. Baseball hats, those are awesome. Please purchase something on your way out. It's very easy. We have the little swiper thing for your debit card. See Pastor Griselda, she'll be out there if you want to buy uh, maybe a 101 book or any one of those books to bless somebody for Christmas during this month. Date like a Christian. If you have young people in your life or even some old people need to know how to date like a Christian, buy them a date like a Christian book or those hats, uh, you know, to keep you warm. What are those called? Skull caps? Beanies? There's so many different names for that thing. Buy one. They're really nice and warm. All right, here's our verse. Let's say it together. Philippians 4:19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your blessing in our life. We think that you provide, God. When we remain faithful to you, God, we will see the blessings of the Lord. And I pray that no bitter envy will have a root in our life. We repent today. If it's there, get it out in Jesus' name. And we receive your blessing. We receive and trust your promises, oh God, and we speak them into the air. And I pray, Lord God, that our seed in our hand today would be a blessing to your church to further your kingdom on this earth. And as we take care of your business, God, we know that you're going to take care of our business. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please come forward as you give, and we thank you so much for your generosity.
All right. How many are thankful? Can I get an amen? Do you know that Thanksgiving was started by Christians in this nation because of thankfulness? Did you know that? If you don't know that, go to our website, look up the word Thanksgiving, and you will see the history of Thanksgiving. It didn't even start with the pilgrims per se. That was just something that was tied to how they had a meal. But really into the uh, 1700s, in the formation of our nation, in the late 1700s and the early 1800s, Christians in churches just like this would get together and pray once a year and many times fast as well. Then they would break their fast, where we get the word breakfast from, break fast, break their fast, and then celebrate with a day of Thanksgiving. That's where it comes from from. And so if you want to know the history of that, look at what George Washington said. Look at what Abraham Lincoln said. They made time to be thankful before God. And so what I want to do real quick is just set up our microphone right here. I don't want you guys to be nervous, but I want to get maybe Vinny to come on the keyboard and some of you just to stand up here and just tell us quickly just a few things that you guys are thankful for this time of year. So Vinny, come on up. And whoever wants to grab this mic, just tell us something you're thankful for. I'm going to get out the way because I want to hear some thankfulness in this church. And you can awkwardly look at me if you want. All right, I'm thankful for my family. Thank you, uh, thankful for uh, God's provision all the year. He's always been faithful and favored me in the uh, workplace. So I'm um, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Amen. Let's start lining up here. Let's get about five to ten. I want them to go quickly. Five to ten. Come line up behind uh, Juan. Thank you. Thank you. Um, my name is Juan, and I'm thankful for getting my old job for me. Uh, higher pay to come back to them so I'm thankful for that for provision of my family and I'm grateful for God's grace to carry through going to school full time and working full time in the midst of doing that thank you I'm thankful for my family my church family uh, financial provision God is always providing for me and for others through me and God is good Amen. I'm thankful to have spent time with my dad before he passed and seen him. I want to be thankful that I had spent time with my kids and being here with you guys. I had to my first time speaking up here, so I thank everybody for accepting me in your church. Thank you for the um, privilege to praise Jesus because most people don't have those rights. So I'm thankful. <laughs> I'm thankful for God and I'm just thankful for my spiritual family and my and my real family. I'm thankful for everything have, uh, God has done in my life. Uh, you know, take me away from the depression, the anger. You know, just thank you, God. Amen. I'm thankful for my salvation. I'm thankful, you know, for my family and I'm thankful my church family here and I'm most of all I'm so thankful that I'm not single and the, that I've got the right woman came into my life 
thankful that although my my aunt had passed on Wednesday, she knew Jesus. And I'm thankful that she's in heaven rejoicing with our God. And I'm thankful that through this, my father has, um, my father, Jesus, has teared down my walls. And for the first time since 1998, I allowed my father back into my life. So. I am thankful for God's love and it's fine. I'm just like, I am thankful. I'm thankful for a pastor who adjusts my mic. Um, so I'm thankful for God's love and for his faithfulness for always being there. Even though I was a tough cookie and I, I would go back and forth for so many years, but God has remained faithful and and stood there, and I'm thankful for God teaching me lessons, like through the trials and the tribulations, like being there with me and teaching me stuff, and, and I've learned so much, and I'm so excited to go forward. Yeah. Amen. Now, if you're thankful, let's just give God a hand clap of praise. Amen. For Vinny, give it up for Vinny Barbarino. Love this brother. Guy is awesome. Thank you. Let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 6, verse 1. We're in a series called uh, the Gospel of John series. We're going through it all the way to the end of the year, all the way through those Christmas services. We're going to be talking about John's Gospel. The last uh, uh, service for the year will be that Christmas service, and that Christmas service, um, no, excuse me, yeah, is the last service 25th for the year of December? So, yeah, and it will be uh, the last one in this series, and guess what it's going to be on? Lazarus. Lazarus is the last sign in the book of John. Lazarus is dead. He gets resurrected. Last service of the year. Some things are going to be dead, and God's going to resurrect them. You're going to start a new life with a new year. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. So today we're in John chapter 6. Today's message is always enough. Everybody say always enough. Thank you. We're going to be going through this sign that Jesus gave when he multiplied the bread and the fishes. How many already know this story? Some of you have heard about it, Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. You're going to learn that it was a lot more than 5,000. It was a lot more than that. But let's go. It says John 5 there, but it should actually say John 6. But if you're in John 6, you're following along up here. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Everybody say they saw the signs. The signs were there to point people to Jesus and who he was. We have already studied the following signs. We've studied the sign of the changing of the water into wine. We've studied the healing of the royal official's son. We've studied the sign of the healing of the paralytic. Now we're at the feeding of the 5,000. And so for those reasons, what Jesus was doing, people were following him. Now look at verse 3. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside, sat down with his disciples. With his who? With his disciples, with his conference attendees, with his church members, with his biggest givers, with his religious people. Who did he sit down with? Look at your neighbor right now and go, who am I sitting next to? Come on, who am I sitting next to? Ask your neighbor, who am I sitting next to? And you answer them, neighbor, who are you? Do I got any disciples up in this place today? Any disciples of Jesus? That's who we should be sitting next to. 
He sat down with his disciples. Now, I know some of you probably got some family like me. Some of them are cool. Some of them are crazy. But I want to tell you, all of our families need to be disciples. Amen? All right. So the Jewish Passover was near. Now let's look at verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? So after he had preached for a while, he's seen people coming, and he's like, man, they're hungry. They're going to want some food from me because I've kept them out here a long time. And he asked Philip, where can we buy them something to eat? Now, you're going to learn something about Philip in just a few moments, but keep going. He asked this only to test him. Some may say it's only a test. Amen. Oftentimes, many things you go, in th uh, go through in your life are just a test. We'll get to that as well. For he had already had in mind what he was going to do. Verse 7, Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to, to buy bread for each one to have a bite. And so if you just take the average income in America right now, somewhere around $50,000, that would be very similar to, to this time period. So around $25,000 would it would take just to feed these people one meal. Now, look at verse 8. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fishes. They're not even big loaves, not even big fishes, little fishes. Jesus then said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that area, and he had them sit down, and it was about 5,000 men there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. Everybody say as much as they wanted and he thank you and he did the same with the fish now I don't know if you've ever had as much as you want of food but I think this is a great message to have right by Thanksgiving because I think some of you tested that theory over the weekend how many of you had as much as you wanted I mean you just had as much as you want I almost ate a whole pecan pie over three days it just got silly with me in that pecan pie I cracked that thing open around Wednesday and there's not much of it left right now and it, and it was gonna go to my family's house but I said no I'm just keeping this one for me I said they'll have enough dessert when we get there and sure enough they did so I just kind of tucked this one away from me I have I've had as much as I've wanted and I don't know if you've ever hung out with like young adults especially we got a church of young adults here but sometimes I have them over at the house and I always want to give them as much as they want of little Caesars and pizza and all that but I never have enough to cover as much as they want at some point the food that we bought for them runs out can anybody relate to this and then they start hitting my fridge and when I was a single man when I was a single man I didn't have problem with my young adult church members hitting my fridge because I was a young adult and it was like when it's gone it's gone it's it I'll go to McDonald's tomorrow but now I'm a family man they're grabbing the gallons of milk they're taking the cereal and I'm like this is for my kids Y'all got to get a job and go eat somewhere. How can you eat like this all the time? I don't even know how they do it. But anyways, that this, at this party where Jesus was at, they ate as much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. It wasn't just a little bite of a fish, a little bite of a bread, as we've had to do sometimes when we're all struggling. We can relate to having to, you know, split that little bit of, you know, can of tuna, make it spread, you know, or make that macaroni and cheese, make it like your filet mignon for the night, you know, make that, you know, mix it up. Anybody ever have like that kind of night where you just got to make everything in your house come together for a meal and then feed everybody? 
and you're just going to make it taste right. I'm telling you, I've taken hamburger meat because I had no bread, no buns. I've chopped it up, put it with my macaronis and cheese, and that was on. That was on right there. And let me just tell you, I come from a, a family where we're not even very picky. My kids had the, had Wednesday off, so they were, we were just going to do a family thing, or rather Thursday. We had Thursday off because my family wanted to do their Thanksgiving on a Friday. And you know what they wanted on Thursday for their big meal? Hot dogs. That's what they want. They wanted hot dogs, so they are not hard to please. Okay, now look at this, verse 12. And by the way, you know what my wife's favorite restaurant is in the world? Not Red Lobster, not Ruth's Chris, not Fogo de Chow. Her favorite restaurant in the whole world, if you ever want to know, like get her a little gift card and be like, you're so awesome. I don't even know if they sell gift cards there. On Belmont, on Belmont there, what is that called? The Dog Stop. The Dog Stop. That is her favorite place, so that's why my kids must like hot dogs then. I don't know. Anyways, okay, verse 12. When they had all had enough to eat. Everybody said they had enough to eat. Thank you. He said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign that Jesus performed. Everybody say they saw the sign. Thank you. After they saw that sign, this is what they began to say. Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And then it says here, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew to a mountain by himself. Can I get an amen for this passage here? This is the word of God. This is what John is wanting us to get. Now remember, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Three of them are similar. Three of them are similar, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we call those the synoptic Gospels. That is where we get uh, the word synop uh, synopsis. Synopsis, they are similar, and, and that's where we call them synoptic. But John comes along and presents 90%. Everybody say 90%. Thank you, of new material, and that's where he now picks out these signs, and he brings it to us as the reader, and there's seven major signs, and that's what this series is, is the seven signs of John. But guess what? This sign right here is actually found in every single one of the Gospels. Every single one of the Gospels takes time to tell this story, yet John gives us a few little bits of information to help us know a little bit new information, and I'm going to get into that in just a moment, but it is a familiar familiar story to most of us, but I think we can get some new insight from it. Just in review, when we're looking at those signs, as I said before, we've already covered those three. Today's our fourth sign. Did anybody do their homework and read John chapter 6? That's what's up. Give it up for yourself doing some homework and those who did. Come on. Now, next week, continue reading John chapter 6, so read it again if you already read it. If you haven't, read John chapter 6, and next week, we're going to talk about Jesus walking on water, and like I said, we'll go to the lake afterward and give that a try. Who's got faith? Come on. Then we'll go into the blind man. This is going to be an awesome one, calling out God, uh, Jesus, son of David, rather have mercy on me. And then, like I said, the last service of the year, I thought that was really neat, that it's actually our, um, our Christmas service is going to be about Lazarus. And if you look at the end of the book of John, he kind of tells you why he writes the whole entire book. He waits to the end and summarizes it, as you've heard us before, if you've been a part of the, uh, the services on this ser series. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his what? His disciples. Everybody say disciples. Thank you. See how important that is to John. He's always talking about the disciples of Jesus. That's very important which are not recorded in this book. And that's where John under, uh, relates and understands that Matthew, Mark, and Luke have tons of miracles, but he only puts seven in there. He says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the what? 
the Son of God. Thank you. Everybody say Son of God. Son of God. Thank you. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. So that's really what uh, John is wanting to accomplish in the Gospel of John, is teach us who Jesus is, point to his divinity, show us that he's the Messiah, and show us that when we believe in him, he'll change our lives. And so every miracle that John is talking about and, and relating to us is a taste of the kingdom. It's a, it's a glimpse into what God's heart is like. What is it like in heaven? You know, Matthew taught us the Lord's Prayer, and he, he taught us to pray. Uh, Jesus taught us there that we should say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in where? Heaven. So heaven should be coming to earth, right? Heaven should be coming to earth. And what does heaven look like? Well, when you look at John's Gospels, you see what heaven looks like. And so just review some of these signs that we've already gone over. What does heaven look like when Jesus comes around? It's a party. It's a party. Literally, the Bible says that now we as Christians are looking forward to the day Jesus comes back and we have a great marriage supper. And the marriage supper is between the church, known as the bride of Christ, with the groom, Jesus, and there will be celebrations for uh, eternity without time, without end. We will be in the presence of God. And that's what Jesus is showing us here in that first uh, miracle in the book of John is that Jesus goes to a wedding. He celebrates wine runs out he multiplies it from the water and what Jesus says is you may have joy here on earth but even as some of the people testified even the closest people in your life that you love you may lose here on this earth like wine going out at a party but Jesus always brings his presence and his joy his love and it never runs out the Bible says in the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy at his right hand are pleasures for what forevermore, those who know that verse. Then we go into this sign about the healing of the royal official son. What do we see there of heaven? What do we see? Is that God is with the meek and the humble. Does anybody remember from the Beatitudes? The meek shall inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. And so we learn in this sign that when we are meek like the royal official and ask for God to do something, he does what we ask. The next thing that we saw was the hearing of the healing of the paralytic where Jesus went to him at the, the, the pool there. He was sick 38 years. His life wasn't getting any better. And Jesus asked him this question, do you want to get what? Do you want to get well? What does that teach us? Is that God has made all the effort for us to get well. Now he wants you to come draw towards him. Make an effort, draw towards him. Heaven is not a place where God kidnaps us and holds us for ransom. Heaven is not a place where he forces us to go. If you want to go to hell, you can go to hell. God will not force you to hell and Satan can't force you, or excuse me, God can't force you to heaven and, and the Satan can't force you to hell. And so we learn that heaven is a place for those who choose to be here, choose to be there. So if you get bored of worshiping Jesus here, what's going to happen when you get up there? If you don't like being around disciples here, what's going to happen up there? If you don't like, you know, learning about God now, what's going to happen up there? And so the idea of the healing of the paralytic is do you want God in his kingdom? Do you want his face and his personality? Or do you just want his hand and his hand out? See, I want God's presence first, then I'll get his presence, like Christmas presents. If I get his presence first, like him in my life, then I'll get presence. But if I seek the presence first, the gifts first, and not who he is, I'll be left with nothing in the end. If I only seek God's hand and never see his face, seek his face, then all I'm doing is coming to him as a spoiled child. And this parable, I mean, this healing here teaches us that we should go after God and say, I want it all. Now, let's look at this uh, feeding of the 5,000. The introduction I wrote here is very short, and I want you to look 
look at it with me. Just like the disciples in the story, we often find ourselves unable to do what Jesus wants us to do because he says to them, y'all give them something to eat. You take care of this. So we find ourselves in life challenged all the time by God's commands. God says to you, forgive your enemies. And you're like, God, you don't know my enemies. But God tells you to do it, doesn't he? God says, give a tithe. And you're like, God, you don't know my bills that I got. But God says, give the tithe. God says, become a disciple. And you say, God, you don't know how busy I am. God says, go witness to your neighbor. And you say, you don't know how crazy my neighbors are. All of these commands can come with excuses. And sometimes I like to call them buts. God says, go make disciples. And you go, but I'm too busy. I can't do it. And what do I always tell you? Jenny Craig loves your butt, but God doesn't love it that much. Let you stay that way. He wants you to lose it. Okay. So you like, like Jenny Craig, she, he may, he may take you on as you are, but he wants to change you. Jenny Craig may just take your money and let you stay that way. A lot of diets and a lot of fads come and go, but God wants you to lose your big old butt. Okay. So Jesus ain't your Jenny Craig. He wants you to lose that big old butt. Can I get an amen? Because you can keep on paying and keep paying Jenny Craig with a big old butt and nothing will change. But you come to God, he wants to change you. He loves you too much to keep you that way. Now watch. When we come to God and he asks us these big things in life that are beyond us, what do we do at those moments? Because they're too big for us, aren't they? But Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he won't first empower us to do. Everybody say, God's got the power. Thank you. God's glory is seen when we admit our inability and put our trust in him. So let's look at this story and see if we can get some breakdowns. I think you guys have heard it before, but maybe there's some new things you can get, and then I want to preach it to you. When we break this down, what we see is aside from displaying the kingdom of God, Jesus also used miracles to draw people to his teachings. So the miracle has an intention to really show you what heaven is like, like we were just talking about. It displays all of these things. But once Jesus had your attention from the miracle, did he just say, go home and go tell everybody about me that I'm the next Copperfield or whatever? No, what does he do now? He starts teaching people. And so this now puts you in the, if you want to put yourself in the place of the disciples, ask yourself this question. Would I leave after the miracle or would I stay around to hear what that man, the miracle man, had to say? These people were following Jesus because they saw the miracle, but they were dedicated enough to him to stay to hear his teachings. A lot of times we skip right ahead to Jesus doing the miracle of the food, but why were they all there to begin with? Why were they all hungry? Because they were willing to forsake their breakfast, forsake their lunch, forsake their dinner, and sit down and patiently listen to Jesus. How much of your time do you think you give to Jesus to hear his teachings a week? I mean, if I just said, how much did you read your Bible this week? How much did you spend listening to podcasts this week about Christian things or worship or just anything that in that sense would be biblical and godly? If I put your whole entire week together and stacked it up in hours, how many hours do you think it would be? Three hours, four hours? Did some of you even spend an hour a day with the Lord? I mean, that would be awesome if you spent an hour a day with the Lord. And, and so let's say for the most dedicated among us, you, you spent six, seven hours this week with the Lord, one hour a week, where most of you would only be minutes. Maybe if you put it all together, and with the Christmas, if you want to count the Christmas music you listened to, you know, while you were hanging out with your family, you'd probably get up to an hour. But let's say the greatest among us, seven hours over a seven-week period, listen, these disciples listened to Jesus probably 12 hours in one day. 12 hours in one day. That's how important it was to them. It was that important. 
The next thing that we see is that Jesus preached from day until evening, and the people were hungry. So Jesus said, you know what? I'm not here to just meet your need and make you feel comfortable so that you'll keep coming to hear me preach. Because Jesus could have stopped while he was preaching, you know, made uh, some elotes or ordered some pizza or went out fishing and then did something else. But Jesus purposely kept preaching until they were hungry. I, I wonder how many of us would have stayed around that long or if the first thing we, you know, first little rumbling in our tummy, we would roll out on Jesus. How many want to test that theory today? Let's see how long I can keep you here today. Think about that. That's what they did. They sat there. They have kids because what you're going to find out in these next sections here is that there's not only men. It's not just men. Men was the way they were counting in that culture at that time, but there was also women and children. So imagine this now. You're having children. They're fidgety. They're wanting to do the next thing. They're wanting to eat, and they're hungry. You're hungry, and you know when, when dad gets hungry, because I'm a dad that when I get hungry, I get hangry. Anybody else get hangry like me? Some of the mothers in the house too. I get hangry. So, you know, you, you want to beat the child child's wanting to beat you everything's going crazy and Jesus is still preaching Jesus is still going and everything he's saying though it doesn't say it here is probably the things he said in Matthew chapter 5 6 and 7 I did a study one time on all the red letters of Jesus preaching in the Bible. I combined all those numbers together, all those uh, words together. And if you put all of Jesus' words in the entire Gospels, those four books, and combine them together, you only have Jesus literally talking for about a day or two worth of conversations. And so what we have in the Gospels is a very uh, small summary of what Jesus did over three and a half years. So there's some information that I believe Jesus repeated over and over over and over again because in that day you couldn't write it down and hand it to people the paper would be way too expensive most people couldn't read so the idea was you had to orally repeat yourself repeat yourself so what was Jesus's famous sermon that he repeated all over the place was the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, the love your neighbor as yourself, the Lord's Prayer, the, don't, the do not worry passage. I mean, how many are happy about not worrying and trusting God? You know, he says, don't worry about what you eat or drink. The birds of the field are taking care of your God, take care of you. And he kept preaching. The next thing that we see, which is awesome about the, good, the book of John, this is where it gets a little scholarly, so put on your scholar, scholar clap, cap, if I can pronounce the word. You put on your scholar cap, and I'll try to speak right. And that's my little, like, like Achilles heel of preaching is I can't pronounce words right. And a lot of times I listen to myself, and you guys are so gracious. I say wrong things all the time, and I listen to myself. I'm like, man, I can't believe they just sat there and let me say that. Like just a few moments ago, I almost said, you know, like God would put you in hell and all of this stuff. And it was just like I flip God and the devil around sometimes in, in conversations. You know, like the devil died on the cross. I'll say that. And yeah, you understand, thank you, because I listen to myself, I'm like, I just wish somebody would have texted me, so I could have just like clarified that, and then, and then, um, and it was so funny, because we did some messages like a couple weeks ago, and I was counting, and I was like naming off these things, and I was like one, three, seven, and I was literally counting, I was like skipping numbers, and I was just like, one, did anybody ever catch? That was just totally skipping numbers, but thank you guys for being gracious with me. But here's what's amazing about the book of John. 
Now, you remember, Matthew, Mark, and Luke always kind of tell the same thing. They're the synoptic gospels. John has written a long time afterward where there are hidden, hidden markers in the book of John of the inspiration of Scripture. So everybody listen to this. What a lot of people have said over time as they look at our Bible is these are just kind of made-up stories or maybe there's part truth, part myth, if they're not fully all myth, you know. And uh, there's not a lot of historical um, proof in these stories. Like, how are we going to go back and check 2,000 years ago? Was there a, a big feeding like this? Well, here is a little marker of transcendence. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels, they tell the story about the feeding of the 5,000 and there not being enough food to eat. But it doesn't mention who Jesus talks to initially. And in the book of John, it says that he talks to Philip initially. Now, why would John tell us that it was Philip and Matthew, Mark, and Luke wouldn't? Because John wanted you to know without trying to force in the information, but just recalling from his own memory that Philip was from that area. And so Philip would have known the baker to go to. Philip would have known the fisherman to contact if we had the money. And you may say, well, that doesn't sound very impressive. It's very impressive when you think about it like this. John's information is totally different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So he's not copying them, yet he's telling the same stories, and he's unintentional. We know it's intentional by the Scripture, by the, the divine inspiration, but from his recollection in a natural, historical way, he's unintentionally just mentioning names that the other ones didn't. He also mentions the name of the servant, uh, of the man who gets, the, the centurion rather, who gets his ear cut off by Peter. And those are very important details. And once again, why does that show us the, the Scripture's real uh, wealth of historical information? Is because John is not forcing those names in there he's doing it naturally and so we see that he goes to Philip maybe you're not impressed with that but let's just talk about Phil now everybody ready for Phil that's pretty am amazing for me to think about it like that there's actually a whole book written on that if you want it I'll, I'll send it to you these these in these um these co coincidences that seem to be insignificant when you read it, you know, just, you know, summary, reading through your Bible, but when you put them together, they really point to the inspiration of Scripture. And John plays a big part of that. So anyways, Phil, he's from the area. Jesus asks him, where are we going to get these people something to eat? Well, the problem with that is, is that you couldn't even fed them if you knew where to get something to eat. How are you now going to get enough bread? How can you make enough bread? How can you get the fish even cleaned and prepared? And so Jesus was doing this to test him. Now, what they do find is a boy with five loaves and two fishes that was willing to share. Let's just put ourselves in this guy's position. You haven't eaten all day. 20,000 people are hungry. You've got enough food, basically, to feed yourself and maybe your little brother or sister that's with you. Are you sharing that food? you got to be honest with yourself. We would all like to say, like, yeah, I would share that kind of food. But if you look around our world today, we're not really as big on sharing as we think we are, you know. We kind of share and give away stuff that we don't want. You know, we give away, like, our shoes. Like, after we've worn them a whole lot, a lot, we give them away. But do you ever see anybody giving away their brand-new Jordans after they got them for Christmas? Oh, I just want to give these away now. We don't do that. We'll give away like our like our Xbox One or PlayStation One, you know what I'm saying? But young people, do you give away the PlayStation 4? Like are you giving that away today to your, you know, your cousins? Or here's a PlayStation 4, have it. You know? No, you don't do that. You may give away, you know, these these purses, ladies, you know, it's all falling apart, you know, that fake leather stuff is cracking and all that. 
But are you giving away like that coach purse that's brand new? That you're, you're not giving that. And so let's think about this for a moment. Let's put ourselves in the place of this young boy. This is more valuable to him than his shoes, than his clothes, than a coach purse. This is food. This is what he's got to do to eat. And let alone whatever he gives to the disciples to help, it's really not going to make a difference anyways. And how many times have we kind of said that like, you know, I could give to missions, but really the only thing I can give right now is $5. $5 is not really going to make a big difference to the missions. Other people in this church will help them. But I really need the $5, so I'm going to keep it for myself. See, it gets quiet when you preach like that. It was all cool when we were talking about the little boy giving away the, the, you know, the, the loaves of bread. But once we talk about our money, it gets, it gets personal like that. So often we hold on to our, our money and our things, and, and we say, God, we know you wouldn't ask us to give this away. We know you wouldn't ask me to give this away because you know I need this. And yet this boy is willing to give those things up. Does anybody remember Jesus talking about the faith of a child? about how if we want to enter the kingdom of God, we all need to have faith of a child. Here this boy probably didn't have all the pressure that most of us men would have here to provide for our family. He's a little boy. But he had enough faith to understand if he's hanging out with Jesus, this miracle worker, maybe he's already heard the story about the, the wine at the wedding. Maybe he's already heard the stories about the sign at the pool and all this. He's saying, if I'm hanging around Jesus and these disciples, I'll give them whatever I got because I want to see God do something great. Many of us don't see great things in our life because we're not willing to give all that we got to Jesus. You may say, Pastor, why does the miracle happen in this person's life and not my life? Well, we don't always know. We don't know. Sometimes God does things sovereignly. I get that. I don't want to always put the blame on us. But oftentimes, as a pastor, I see this oftentimes, so follow me here on this pattern, that the ones who are seeing miracles, the ones who are seeing financial breakthroughs, the ones that are seeing great things happen in their lives are ones that are giving it all up for Jesus. They're the ones when nobody else is looking is saying, God, I'll give it up. Even though I don't understand how you're going to use it, I'll still give it up to you. The next thing that we see is that Jesus organized the people, had them sit down in groups of 50. We get this from Matthew as well as Mark. And then the Matthew 14, 21 actually says the 5,000 men didn't include women and children. And so now when you put that number with the women and children and the men, that's around 20,000 people. Once again, that's why it would take about $25,000 to feed them if you just would average a dollar per person for food. And I remember being in India just trying to feed a lot of people there. A dollar sometimes is not even enough when you start buying bulk. Sometimes when you buy bulk like that, it may be, and that's in a third world country, it may come closer to $2.50 or $3 or $4. And so this right here was an insurmountable task that no one could have afforded to do at that moment. And once again, even if they could have had the money and dropped it like it was hot, here you go, bam, I'm rich. Where are they going to get all the bread to make right now, the fish to clean? Once again, at that point, you're already starving, man. You're already going hungry. You might as well just send them home on their way. But what I love about Jesus is he blesses. Everybody say, Jesus blessed. Jesus blessed the bread and fish and multiplied it to all the people with 12 baskets left over. And as you know, they ate until they were full. They had all that they could possibly eat. And if you haven't eaten all day, how many know you're eating a lot? You are eating a lot. You are hungry. Now, this right here, we got to stop and pause and check your 21st century mind right now. I want to check your mind right now. Look at your neighbor and say, check your mind. I want to check your mind right now. Here it is. Y'all ready for the check? I'm going to check you right now. Here it is. Do you believe this? 
I want you to be honest with your 21st century mind. Do you literally believe this? I'm not talking like this is a cool story you get a lesson from, like, you know, like listen to some fairy tale or, you know, whatever. I'm asking you literally, do you believe there was a man named Jesus, 20,000 people are on a mountainside, a little boy brings these five loaves, two fishes, he prays, he blesses, and everybody's filled, eats all that they can possibly eat until there's 12 baskets left over. Because in this 21st century world, they're trying to tell you miracles are not possible. And that this was just some kind of a magic trick. And that really all God, all Jesus was, was just like, you know, walking around as a good teacher, performing maybe some health magic, you know, you're giving people medicine. Or he was actually just a musician that knew he was deceiving people to think that God had did something, but really it didn't happen. Just like we said before, like David Copperfield, he, you know, makes you think that he made the uh, Statue of Liberty disappear. Is Jesus doing this as a magician? Is he doing this as a trickster? Or is literally Jesus, the Son of God, the one who created us, the one that we learned about in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we find out in John 1, 14, and the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Is this who He is? Is God literally among us in the flesh and doing things that we can't even imagine? Now, I know that this is a miracle and that science can't explain miracles, but I don't think that miracles are illogical. I don't think that miracles are things that go against logic. God gave us logic, and logic is truth. Everybody say truth. Thank you. And the Bible says that God cannot lie. So whatever is illogical is a lie. And Jesus is logical, so he wouldn't tell lies. So he wouldn't go against logic. Now, when we look at what bread and fish actually are and how they would multiply, what we see here is that the same creator who made everything in the beginning from nothing to what it became as something is doing that right here. Is that illogical? Is it illogical to believe that an all-powerful creator can create something? If you don't believe that, because I kick back on this, you know, when I go to the college campus tomorrow, people will say back to me, how do you believe something like that? Well, all I have to do is just a simple thing of logic. Okay, before we talk about Jesus, uh, you know, creating the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes, let's just talk about the universe. Because if the first three words of the book of Genesis are true, then everything is possible. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God, four words of Genesis. Are you all with me? If the first four are right, I can count to first four are right, then that means everything else is possible. Everything is possible. So how did the first fish ever get here? How did the first fish ever get here? Now, I know you guys hear this over and over again because this is the beating drum of our culture to try to get you to doubt miracles. Now the Christmas season is up. The History Channel, Discovery Channel may put up these Jesus films or these Jesus documentaries, and you're going to be like, I'm a Christian. I want to watch this. And then you'll turn it on, and they're going to try to destroy everything you believe in, in, in your faith. You know, like the A&E special or whatever. The History Channel is going to tell you Jesus got married to Mary Magdalene. They were doing it on the side, had kids, you know. Then they're going to tell you the Bible was change. They're going to say that, you know, there was, there was tricks. They may even literally, they may even literally have a magician do the same tricks of Jesus and say, look, look how I can turn water into wine, you know, get people to believe stuff like that. Or maybe Jesus planted the sick man there, but he really knew he could walk and he just did all these tricks. No, watch, follow me here. If Jesus is God in the flesh, then here's my question. Is it illogical that Jesus can multiply fishes and loaves? Because where did fish come from? 
Where did they come from? I know we're taught that they took this long time process, but that's not true. I don't believe that. I believe that you can point to a time where there was no fish and then there was a fish. It's like what comes first, the chicken or the egg? What comes first according to the word of God? The chicken. Somebody said, Jesus, can you hear the question, sir? <laughs> Listen to the question. I got to call out the loud ones sometime. They're trying to be cute. Listen to the question. What came first, chicken or egg? According to the Bible, what came first? Chicken. God makes chicken. God makes fish. So if the creator of the universe is walking among us, is it illogical to think that he can now use his same creative power that he did in the book of Genesis right there on that mountainside? No, because when we get into walking on water, what is water to the creator? What is water to the creator? It is his creation. He can determine the properties of that water and the properties of his body at any given time. He is not contradicting our logic. He is showing us that the laws of nature were put in place by him, but there is something also more than natural laws. There are supernatural laws. And what the supernatural law is this, when God's in town, all things are possible. When Jesus is around, everything is possible. And when we look at the molecular structure of our world now, you look at these microscopes, these things in microscopes, it's mind-blowing how everything is held together, intelligently designed by these cells and all of these things. What is it to God to rearrange those things, to create those things, to do those things, to use those things for his glory? I believe he did it. Can I get an amen? Amen. So the people witnessed the miracle. They believed that Jesus was the prophet, the Messiah, foretold in the Bible. Now, here's something where we got to pause and understand. When they're saying, I believe you're the prophet, in other words, you're the Messiah, because they say that later on, and that's what John says he's writing his book for, is that people would believe that he is the Messiah. Everybody remember this, that he wrote these books, that pe uh, he wrote these signs in the book that people would believe Jesus is the what? The Messiah and the Son of God, and that you may have life by believing in his name, okay? Now track with this. This was not just because Jesus did change the, uh, or, or make the uh, fish and bread multiply. That was not alone why they did it. Because they were even told in the book of Moses, if someone comes along and does great signs and wonders, but yet teaches a different message or changes the law of God, and they tell you this is a sign to prove that I am your God or your prophet, and they then lead you astray, don't listen to that person. How many of you remember hearing about that in the Old Testament? Okay. So it wasn't that alone. But where was their basis for believing in Jesus? All of the prophets of the Old Testament that had predated Jesus, some of them by thousands of years, some of them by hundreds of years, like Isaiah was 600 years before Jesus. And I just want to tell you, read Isaiah 53 around Christmas time to remind yourself of why Jesus came. Also, Isaiah chapter 9, to us a son, a child is given, to us a son is born, all of that. You know, he shall be called Emmanuel. These are prophecies. And so here's the deal. When Jesus is here, he's not just saying, here's a sign, now believe in me. He's showing them signs, teaching. Remember what he's doing? He's teaching the things of God. And then he says, based on that, believe in me. The signs plus his teachings. So there's a warning here for us. 
Don't believe everything you hear unless it's tested by the Word of God. Be as smart as these disciples were at this time to put together the signs of Jesus with the teachings of Jesus. Now watch this, because if you saw the sign of Jesus, everybody you think would believe in Jesus, right? Like the Jews should have believed in Jesus. But why didn't the Jews believe in Jesus? They saw the same signs. Why is it even as you get as we get to Lazarus, they see Lazarus raised from the dead. Now they want to kill Jesus and Lazarus. Why? They see the signs because they don't believe the teachings. So if you're thinking a sign will change your heart, it will not. It's the Word of God that changes your heart. So if you're here today and you're like, man, I don't know if I really believe in Jesus. You know, he's a cool guy, but I don't know if I really believe he's Messiah. But if I was there when they were making, you know, when he was feeding the 5,000, then I would believe. Or if I was there when he walked on water, then I would believe. No, you wouldn't. Because if you don't believe the teachings now, you wouldn't believe them then. And there's multiple attestation stories in the Bible. Like I just said about the Jewish people. They crucified him, right? Because they didn't believe he was who he said he was. So let me ask you like this. Do you seek the sign first or do you seek the word of God first? Seek the word of God. Let the word of God be what you base your life upon and let the sign conform to that. And that's why, by the way, John the Baptist, as we, if you were doing your homework and we're reading John chapter 1, that's why John the Baptist points to Jesus. He's called the forerunner or the introduction to Jesus. He's pointing to Jesus because all the things that he was told that the Messiah would do would happen. And one of the most important things he was told is that when he would baptize Jesus, he would see the Holy Spirit come upon him. So he was told, I'm going to baptize the Messiah. So he goes out baptizing all these people. And he's like, are you the Messiah? I don't know. Are you the Messiah? And then here comes Jesus. And he says, the heavens open up, the Father speaks, and then a dove comes down. And he goes, that's Jesus. Do you get it? Because a lot of religions can claim things in dark rooms and closets and visions and dreams. Just for example, like Islam, a man comes out of a cave and says, oh, I've seen the angel Gabriel. Did anybody else see the angel Gabriel? No. Did anybody else hear his voice? No. Did anybody testify to what this man had saw no so now all you do is take this man's word i heard the voice i saw an angel that is not christianity understand the difference christianity is people are seeing the signs with the people with the disciples non-believers and believers alike are seeing the same signs and even then they have to trust and take the word of god seriously some of y'all minds just got blown right there come on the next thing that we learn is that Jesus withdraws to a mountain. Why? Before the people can make him a king because that's not why he came. The moment, just think about this. You're a disciple. You have good intentions, right? You've seen Jesus do a lot of great things. You've heard him preach now for like 12 hours in one day. You're totally buying into this. You are a disciple. You're down for the get down. You know, you're ride or die for Jesus. You now want to do what? You're going to want to make him a king. That's what these people want to do. Let's hoist him up. Let's have him take over the world. Let's have him do this. But that wasn't why Jesus came. He came to die on the cross for the sins of the people. So what does Jesus do when he sees 20,000 people about ready to hoist him up and march him into Jerusalem and say, this is our king? He goes away to a mountain by himself. And so often what we learn is that Jesus isn't in to the things we're into, even when we think that he should be into them. 
You know, I, I can just be honest with you. When we were in this building before many years ago, we started growing. I said to myself, we need a bigger building. Let's go into a better neighborhood. Let's get closer to the train and transportation and to the highway. Well, I put all this effort towards these things, and I'm thinking, God's going to want to do this. God's going to want to do this. And yes, God did some great things there. But what did God do when it came to that big plan? He just withdrew and left me and went on over here. And he said, I'm not there. Now, in one sense, he's always with me, but you get my point. He wasn't in that plan, and so we had to shut down that facility and come right back over here. And so I'm thankful for this place right now. I am thankful for this place. I ain't going nowhere until we put 50 more around the city, but this one we always going to keep, amen? And no matter how big we get, this will be like our little museum, like where it all started or something funny like that. But I love this place. But you see, God can, can test your hearts like that. Like, are you in this for the popularity contest? For example, maybe some of you became a Christian because maybe your friends or family come here and you're like, well, you know, I want to do this too. It seems like we're all having fun. But what if they stop going to church? What if the one who invited you here stops coming? Are you now going to stop coming? That's when we really get to see what is your attachment. Is your attachment to God and the church or is your attachment to the crew that brought you here? I've watched a lot of people just go right out the door with their backslidden friend, and they come into the same judgment that they do when they should never have took on that offense. They should have never took on that mess. They should have followed where Jesus is. And so we need to not try to force our agenda, no matter how noble we think it is. Like, God should be into this. This is what he should be about. We should never force our agenda on God's take his agenda, even if it seems like he brings us to places where we're all by ourselves. All by ourselves. Have you ever been all by yourself serving Jesus? Now, it's great that you're not all by yourself today. How many like coming to church? But would you serve Jesus all by yourself if he told you to? What if Jesus put a call on your life and said, you know what? You came to me thinking that I was going to give you an education. You know, say you're single. I was going to give you a husband or a wife. It's going to give you a great job. But that's not what I got for you. I got a one-way ticket for you to go to the Congo and work with the Christian aviation missionaries out there who bring Bibles to the unreached people in the jungles. Are you following Jesus there? You're like, no, Jesus, I want to be here. I want you to be my king over here. I want to be a lawyer. I was just hearing about C.T. Studd. He was one of the best cricket players of his time. He went to Oxford. He was a smart man. He was the son of a million-dollar uh, million family, kind of like a son of a Trump or somebody that's really wealthy. And he was hearing D.L. Moody preach in Oxford, and God said, I'm calling you to go be a missionary in China. And there were no missionaries yet. This, uh, there yet. This man left behind his, his sports career. This man left behind the wealth of his family business and went to become a missionary in China. See, that's what I'm talking about. Are you willing to follow Jesus wherever he goes? Can I hear an amen? Look at your neighbor and say, that was just the intro. Let's get to the message now. You all ready to have a good message on this? Okay, here we go. This is the things that we can take away from this, and I will try to go quickly because I know my time is short. When we see Jesus preaching all day, what can we take away from that? That we always need to put God first. Put God first. Put prayer time before your work time. Put your Bible study time before your family movie time. If family movie time is going to make you all tired, read your Bible before family movie time. If going to bed at night, uh, coming home at night, you're too tired to pray, pray before you go to work. These uh, disciples showed us that they were willing to put Jesus first, and they were willing to seek his kingdom no matter what happened to their earthly body. Look at the Bible says, Matthew 6, But seek first his kingdom and his what? And his what? righteousness, thank you, and all these things will be given to you. Did God end up meeting their needs? Did they starve? Did they die? Oh, Jesus, we're not going to make it. We're not going to make it. 
they die like that? Isn't that what we think about sometimes? It's like, oh, Jesus, if I don't do this, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. We think about that all the time. Like some of you are single. God, if I don't date this person, I know they don't go to church. They don't love you. But if I don't date them, I'm going to die single. <laughs> That's how we think about life. That's what we think. God, if I give you this tithe, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. <laughs> we're just going to fall over. And Did he let these people die? Did he let them die? No. But he taught them a principle. Seek me first. Seek my kingdom first. Seek righteousness first. And then I'll give you some bread to eat. I'll give you some fish to eat. And another way to look at it is like this. You've had enough bread and fish to know it doesn't satisfy. But how much righteousness do you have in your life today? Hello, the Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. So for those of you who have been like, man, I'm out of here. It's lunchtime. I'm done with Jesus. I'm going to eat. You would have never experienced the miracle. All you would have had was the same old pizza that you always have. All you would have is that same old, same old. You wouldn't have been able to taste the freshly created fish that God made. I mean, what a story to tell your family. I was there when he fed the 5,000. How often do we give up on the brink of our miracle because we don't trust God? Hold on to the very end. The Bible says, do not grow weary in well-doing, for if you do not feed faint in good season and due season, you will reap a harvest. The next thing that we see is that you got to admit your inability and God's ability. Philip is like, I can't do this. Now, for most of us here, we think this is, this is pretty obvious. You know, God's asking you to feed 20,000 people. You're like, I can't do that. But why is it so often in our life, look, look at me, people, which is more uh, a complicated, a more enormous task for us to try to be parents, for us to try to hold it together, to have a good, sound mind. This is more impossible than to try to feed 20,000 people, but yet we tell God all the time, I got this. What does that look like in this story here? You know what that would look like? Like Philip taking like little offerings from the people. Okay, y'all pitch in. Come on, guys, pitch in. Like literally, let's say around 7 o'clock at night, they're like going to try to make this happen on their own. Okay, y'all pitch in your money, pitch in your money. Takes them like what, two hours to get the money? Now it's 9 o'clock at night. Now he runs to the village, you know, 20 miles away. Takes him a couple hours. He gets there around midnight. Says, listen, will you make enough bread for 20,000 people? Will you get the fishermen to bring all this, clean the fish, do the whole thing? And, and the guy says, yeah, we'll have it ready by this time next week right literally I'm just being honest with you know making all that bread or maybe they say in 24 hours we'll have it and so 24 hours later he gets all these men they you know they bring it all out to the wilderness or just if the people went out to the city with them either way how long would it have taken to even come close to accomplishing what Jesus did in a moment hours days weeks and yet you're wondering why you can't get something done in your life right now because you're not relying upon God's ability you're trying to change things in your mind. Your brain is the most complicated organ on this planet right now. And you're trying to change this by watching a couple of Oprah Winfrey shows, going to church every now and then. And God is saying, you can't do that. You can't get past your past just trying to watch a couple shows, read a couple books, listen to your favorite song. I'm telling you, you can't get free by listening to a Drake song. Hello, you can't do it. And yet God is saying to you, admit, admit you can't do it. Admit you can't fix this. 
And what's even just as complicated or more complicated than that is us trying to hold our families together. Not only one life, you can't even do it for yourself. Get yourself out of your problems. Get yourself right. You're trying to do it for your wife, your husband. You're trying to do it for all your kids, your family. And God is saying, it is impossible for you to hold this together. It's impossible. Imagine that, that scene that we've seen in the cartoons before. The water's breaking through the dam. The guy puts his finger right there to plug that one. Then he puts his other finger here, and he puts his foot here, and he puts his foot there. And then it just keeps coming. That's life, my friends. That's like you trying to feed 20,000 people without the power of God. It's impossible on your own. Listen to what Paul said, 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from who? God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I wonder who today is going to take this as more than just a feel-good message and actually apply this message to their life this week. Face the biggest problems of your life. Face the biggest problems in our world. And instead of trying to do it on your own and actually making the situation worse, you're going to take it on with God. Next thing that we see is that we got to give everything to Jesus. What I love about this little boy is because I have a little boy, and I know that they are so sweet. Little boys are just the best. They're so cute. And I know that my little boy would probably share this, this food. He would probably give some of his food. But you know what? If it was candy, he may not, he may not give it up as fast. Like if it was just like a normal day, normal food, he'd probably be like, hey, you guys can have some too. But if it was his favorite candy bar, or if it was his favorite thing, very favorite Skittles, he may just break me off a couple. Even then, he barely breaks me off anything. Are you listening to me? And so I understand that even though we know boys can be nice and kids can want to do the right thing, there's still that temptation inside of them to be selfish. And I've seen it in my kids' lives. And so this boy, no matter how cute and cuddly he was, he had a choice, not in himself, not in himself, but he had a choice to follow what God wanted to do above what his own desires wanted. Because at some point, it wasn't going to come from him to give this all up. God had to give him that heart to give it up. Because you remember when Peter confessed who Jesus was? You're the Christ. You're the Son of God. Because, you know, Jesus was saying, who, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. And, and Jesus teaches this principle. You did not get that from man. You got that from my Father. So ultimately, where do we get the motivation for our greatest sacrifices? From Jesus. He'll put it in our hearts. And watch this. Love the Lord your God. Mark 12:30. With all your what? With all your what? How much do you give to Jesus? All. All your heart, all your soul, with all your mind, with all your... Are you holding any, anything back right now? Are you coming to Jesus going, look, I know you probably can do a miracle, but I'm not really sure. So I'm going to keep one fish for me, two loaves for me, and Jesus, since you can do it anyway, I'll just give you the one, the one fish and, you know, the three loaves. I'll split it with you. Do you think that's what God wants in our lives? It's for us to say to him, God, listen, listen, listen. You, you know, you know I love you, but I'm just going to give you a certain amount of time every day. I'm going to read my Bible and pray. I'm going to really do this because I, I love you. But then when he taps on your heart in the job, while somebody's telling you a dirty joke or they're asking you to compromise, fudge on the numbers or whatever, do you then push back God and go, no, no, God, come on now. I don't got to give you this. What about when you're sitting down with your computer and you're, your heart gets tempted to look at things you shouldn't. Do you say, God, well, you know, at least I'm not at the clubs anymore. At least I'm not, you know, having sex all the time. But it's okay if I look every now and then because as long as 95% of my heart is yours, we'll fine. we're fine. Once again, what is the pattern I see in people's lives getting miracles is when they give it all to God. This boy gave it all to God. He did not split it. He gave it all. 
What's the next thing that we see? And quickly here, uh, Vinny, would you come, please? Is that you do whatever Jesus says. Who was he sitting down with that day in the, on the mountainside? Who was he sitting down with? Who were, what were they called? Disciples. Look at what the Bible says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. This is what Jesus said at the end of his life. I mean, after uh, he had been crucified, buried, resurrected, before he ascends to heaven, he goes, now you guys go out and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And watch this. What does verse 20 say? And teaching them how much? Teaching them all. In another version, I'm sorry. It says in another version, all. But teaching them to obey everything. Everybody say everything. Everything I've commanded you. So the disciples are there with Jesus, and Jesus says, listen, guys, I'm going to do a miracle, but I need you to do your part. Get all these guys, uh, the families, to sit down in groups of 50s. And that was a simple little thing, wasn't it? But the disciples were willing to do it. Are you willing to do the simple things Jesus tells you to do? What if right now, and I, I don't mean to say that people's kids who go wrong in life we're bad parents because we can't always blame parents. I was brought up by great parents, but I still went wrong in life, and it was my choice. But let's just say, like God spoke to you this specifically. If he said this specifically to you, you bring your family to church every week. You do Bible studies with them every day. You teach them the Word of God. You sign them up for Royal Rangers and Impact on Wednesday when they're children, when they're youth. You bring them to the youth group. You guard their church time from sports and entertainment Games play on those days. You tell the coach, we don't come on those days. And, he, and God says to you, and I will keep them all the days of their life. Would you be willing to obey that? Let's just be honest. Let's go to another one. What if God said to you, you've been struggling with your finances. You're always coming in and out of debt. You're putting stuff on credit cards. You never have enough. You're going week to week, paycheck to paycheck. But this is what I want you to do. God, he speaks to you. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to work as hard as you can. Come to that job. Do it as unto me, even when you're mistreated. Suffer in my name. Don't retaliate. Do unto others as you want done unto you. Then you come to this church. Every time I put money in your hand, you give me the first fruit, 10%. Then you ask me, whatever is left over out of that 90%, what else I want you to give to the missions, to the ministry. And you work, save, and give. And you'll never be broke again a day in your life. Would you do it? Come on. Think about the example. Jesus says, tell them, sit here, I'll do this. They'll eat, they'll have all they want. I wonder if we could trust God that much today. Sit here, do this, I'll take care of the rest. But who did he use to spread that message? Disciples. So you need to go tell somebody the message of marriage and tell them what Jesus said about marriage. If you got a lot of friends living outside of uh, marriage, living together, not married, you need it as a disciple to say, this is what God said he would do to bless this home. Y'all get married, sit here, bless you. You see people wasting their money. God said, don't love money. It's the root to all kinds of evil. Disciples have to impact other disciples and organize the church and do what's right so God can do the miracle. God did not do the miracle like this, throwing up bread, making it rain. He did it through his disciples and the instructions that he gave. And he told us to go likewise into all the world. I'm still preaching. Are you still listening? The next thing is we follow God's instructions is we can get ready for an abundance. I'm not like a televangelist. I'm not going to lie to you and say, you give $100 in the offering today, you're going to get $1,000 back. But I can promise you this, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. 
That's what I can promise you today. Now, all y'all clapping, I almost want to take up another offering to see where your faith is. Half kid. But listen to me. We can't get around this. We can't see this in every area of our life and not apply it to finances. At some point, we've got to believe that this applies to how we give and receive from the Lord. Because that was substance. That was income. It cost money for those things. And that little boy was willing to give it. Are we willing to give our best to God? And yes, it goes beyond money. What's more valuable than money in your life right now? And you're spending it as you're sitting here. What is it? Time. Give your time to God and reap an abundant harvest of his blessings. We went out Thanksgiving and fed the west side. You couldn't keep me back from there. Because before I wanted to feed my belly, I had to feed my soul. I had to give of my time to reap the harvest of God's blessing. If I want to reap the harvest of a blessed marriage, I've got to sow my love into her. Think about everything you do in life as sowing seed and reaping a harvest. And if you do it right, God will meet your needs. These people sowed their faith by sitting down, listening. The little boy sowed what he had, and God did a miracle. And then lastly, this will blow your mind if you do your homework. In John chapter 6, at the further part of this, all these people who got fed come follow Jesus. And now they're ready to, like, make him king. They're ready to do everything. And guess what Jesus does? He blows their mind, and he goes, I am the bread of life. (laughs) He said, that was just an example of who I am. He's saying, you guys come in here just because your bellies were fed, but I want to feed your soul. I am the bread of life, he said. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never hunger. Be thirsty. At the end of the day, who is Jesus to you? Because I'm not here promising you a life through the yellow brick road and and skipping through the rain and always roses and daisies. There may be problems. There may be difficulties. But I'm promising you a God that's always enough. Jesus told us that he's always enough. And that when we are in the positions that we're in in this life, where we find ourselves in need, where we find ourselves impossible to complete the cast, you know what God says to us? He says, you are now in a perfect place to know me as the bread of life. So whenever you find yourself in lack, you should just stop where you are and go, oh man, I'm in a perfect place to see a miracle. I'm in the perfect place that God wants me to be at so I can stretch out my hands, surrender my problems, and say, God, me, me here. The perfect place to be as a Christian is totally dependent upon God. The perfect place to be is 12 hours sitting in the hot sun. Now you're cold. Now you're hungry. But you're with the master. Always the perfect place to be. The perfect place to be on a Sunday is in this church, even if your stomach starts to get a little hungry right now. The perfect place to be is on your uh, job, praying in your heart, asking God to be with you there. The perfect place to be is on your commute, serving the Lord. Because wherever you are and there's a need, God says, I'm more than enough. Come take it. Come receive it. Sit down and eat. Not just what you need to get by but more than what you could ever want more than enough with stuff left over and what do you think happened with those baskets left over I think he gave at least one or two to that little boy that little boy came to hear Jesus preach with five loaves and two fishes and went home to his families with baskets of fishes and bread 
I wonder if there's anybody here today that wants to be blessed to be a blessing. I wonder if there's anybody here that wants to give the little bit that they have so that they got a lot to give their children and their grandchildren. I wonder if there's anybody here that says, Lord, I'll be a part of a church that will change a city so that we can touch millions of lives. But it starts with us giving all we got and trusting Him. He's more than enough. He's always enough. He meets our needs. Can I ask you just to pray before we stand up and clap and get excited? Just right where you're at with head bowed and eyes closed. Band, would you come please? I just want to ask you today, are you in a perfect place for a miracle? I asked you at the, the, the point of this message, do you believe that he actually did the miracle? If you do, then you know if God is true and he's not a liar, he can do something right now beyond what you can do. I want to ask you right now, are you in a place where you need God to show up, show off, and do what only he can do? If that's you right now, I just want you to raise your hands and say, Lord, you know my need. You know my need right now. Come on. And say what it is. Say what it is to the Lord. You know my need, Jesus. You know it. And name it what it is. Lord, you see my financial difficulties. You see my mental life and the struggle that I'm having. Lord, you see what I'm going through in my marriage with my kids. You see what I'm going through on my job, in my community. Come on, what is your need? And now quickly, with your hands raised, listen to the Lord. Speak to you to give what you have. To speak to you to give what you have. I did say it half kidding, but if you are holding back those things that God said to give, even including your tithe, you should not walk out of here until you've done it. But if it's not money, what if it's time? You need to get a one-on-one discipler in your life. What if God says, I want you to start learning my word? You gave hours to the TV. You gave hours to college football. You gave hours to eating earthly food. But you only gave me 15 minutes all week. And God says, you make time for me now and watch what I'll make happen for you. Right now, hands raised. Who's going to have a need met today because they give it to Jesus? I give it to Jesus and I will do what he told me to do. Altar workers, would you come quickly, please? These altar workers are here in just a few moments to help you pray and make a commitment to God to see a breakthrough in your life, to see things change that you never could see change few more moments and now if you're believing this is going to happen I want you to start to thank him right now just say thank you Jesus right now gracias Senor right now I thank you that before it even happens I believe you're able to make it happen I don't have to see the miracle to believe it I believe it now before I see it that little boy didn't see the miracle first he gave it first Right now, you got a need. Do what God says and thank Him for meeting the need. Right now, this is church, people. This is why we come here. This is why we do what we do. This is why we believe in the God of all creation is still able to do in creation what He can only do. In the beginning, God. If that is true, then everything can change right now. Everything. Everything can change right now. Nothing is static and cemented in place to where God can't change your reality. Right now, right now, 30 more seconds before we stand up and give the bread of life the largest hand clap and the best shout we've given them in this church. But before we do that right now, 30 seconds on your own. Surrender a need. Do what God says and thank Him for it right now. Thank Him for it right now. I'm not doing it for others. I'm not doing it to be cute. I'm not doing it to be religious. 
I'm doing it because I'm weak and tired and hungry on the inside, not satisfied by this world. And I heard about a Savior that promised to meet every need. I'm coming after Jesus today. I'm coming after Jesus today, the Messiah who hasn't come to be who hasn't come to be my earthly king in the sense of me getting a genie, everything I want, but he's come to meet the needs of my life. And I'll do it his way. On the count of three, we're going to stand up and give that God praise and glory today because I'm believing him to come back and rule and reign as that earthly king. But before we do, I want you to have it in your heart today. You're going to live this journey called life. You're going to do it His way. You're going to do it by faith. You're not going to give up. And you're going to praise Him. Because no matter what you're facing, you know that greater is He that's in you than he that's in the world. On the count of three, are you ready? One, because He's been so good. Two, because can't nobody do you like Jesus. Three, because He's the bread of life. Would you stand up? Give Him praise. Come on, praise Him! Jesus! Come on, Jesus! Jesus! Come on, somebody! You will never hunger again! You will never thirst again! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! He is the same yesterday, today, and forever! He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end! Hallelujah! Glory! Jesus! Jesus! Would you grab your neighbor's hand right now as if you were at my family dinner table? Because some of you are about ready to come up and get some spiritual bread right now. Amen? Pretend right now I just prepared a meal for you. And you hungry on the inside. And you about ready to come and get I'm going to bless it in Jesus' name. Those who have to go, feel free to go. We love you. But those who want to get you some of Jesus on the inside of you, run up to one of these prayer workers. Stay after in the after party and worship with us. Don't leave until you're full on the bread of life today. In Jesus' name, Lord, I ask you right now that no one leaves out here the same way they came. I pray you multiply your word in, your, in their lives right now, that you bless us to be a blessing, that you show yourself strong and mighty in our lives, O oh Lord, and that when we come back here next week, we come back here full in our spirits, having eaten all that we need with more than enough and enough to share with our friends and family and neighbors and a community, a city that needs it. In Jesus' name, can I get an amen and a hand clap one more time for Jesus? Slap your neighbor high five and say, get, slap him high five and say, get you some of that. Get you some of that. God bless you as you go. If you need prayer, come on. We're going to worship. We're going to pray. If you got to go, God bless you. Come on, Jesus. It's all about you. Come and give some of the bread of life. Oh